Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast where we interview the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Patrick. He is the product manager over at Crisp, uh, which is a capital raising platform. So thank you so much for being on here today. I know you're over in Australia, which is pretty far from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so a huge time difference, but we were able to still get it to work out. So Patrick, again, thank you so much for being on here. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you grew up, and a little bit of your background. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. So I, um, I, I've grown up in Sydney all my life. And um, 28 now, I've um, studied over at UTS, um, University of Technology Sydney, um, doing a Bachelor of Science in IT. And um, now I'm finalizing my MBA um, at that same university. Uh, my background has predominantly been around technology. So I've worked for the likes of Cisco as a pre-sales engineer. And um, I've been involved with uh, a few startups as being a founder. And that was over the course of 10 years. So I, I've, I've had a bit of an experience um, regarding like starting up um, a business, scaling it, exiting and um, been involved uh, midway through startups and advisory and um, also working um, out of UTS startups, doing some mentorship and guidance as well. That's really cool. So for anyone that may not notice this, typically we have founders on the show and this time we actually have a product manager and Patrick and I spoke a little bit before the podcast and he gave me a little bit of the background and, and some of the things he's been able to do and things like that. And it's just very interesting to see how you're able to, you know, from a very early age, right? Like you're still a pretty young individual, like you're only 28. So there's a lot still ahead of you, but you've been able to accomplish quite a bit for someone your age. Uh, I think most people would say at least. So with, with you know, having those companies behind you and, and seeing things from both perspectives, right? You've been a founder before, you've been a mentor, um, and now you're part of the product team, especially the product manager. How do you, you know, what is the key difference between these things and, and what do you think people should put a little more emphasis on instead of always wanting to essentially be the founder, be, you know, and, and I mentioned this earlier too, is, is that ego that almost wants to take over and say, mm-hmm. and tell people, you know, I'm the founder, like I built this and, 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 and whatnot, but essentially like there's, there's obviously a lot of things that go with that as well. Yeah, you've, you've raised a good point. So um, I think when I f- did my first real startup, it was Asset Squared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a three-year journey. And um, I would say for the majority of the time, it was very ego-driven on my end mm-hmm. because um, obviously you're bootstrapped, you're running it through your credit cards, you're, you're running, you're, you have this ego as your adrenaline, adrenaline rush Mm-hmm. To, to better like think that, oh, okay, I'm on top of the world. We're going to get funding. Um, my co-founder and I, when um, I was at Cisco, we, we, um, we had the idea of going to Andreessen Horowitz to seek out um, seed funding. Uh-huh. So um, uh, we, he piggybacked with me on one of the trips and um, we already connected through LinkedIn on a couple of partners at Andreessen. Horowitz and um, he felt he felt he can head over straight to their door, knock on them yeah. um, with an appointment, and he was escorted out by security. Um, but I think uh, founders can be very naive. Um, I know I was, mm-hmm. 
and you need you need that a little bit um, to to have that encouragement to go with your startup. Um, I think everyone goes through a an ego journey um, at any stage of the life cycle as being a founder. Yeah. And once you learn to be humble and you realize that, hey, I don't need to be the founder, I can be part of the founding team, um, that in itself is validation enough. And you can realize that the skill set that you have is still going to get recognized, it's still going to be used, um, and then you can still be impactful in, in the beginning and scaling of that startup. Um, I, I think over those last few years of doing that startup for us squared, it, it certainly taught me a lot to be humble with, um, with where you're at and take stock of what you've achieved. Yeah. Um, mind you, the, the original premise with asset squared was a, um, a, a financial engine that allows, um, the, sh the shared ownership of assets. So think of it as a stock exchange for art, wine, vintage cards and property. And since then I've left the business and it's, um, it's now pivoted into more of a crowdfunding exercise for cryptocurrency. Okay. And um, I'll be frank, my co-founder and I didn't leave on great terms, but um, we've since tried to reconcile and go from now. Cool. Very cool story. And definitely, you know, I think you, you definitely touched on something important. It's the, again, uh, just to pick it back right of what I said is the ego. And, and I think that there's definitely, especially, you know, since that company was started when you were even younger. And I think those are definitely the years where, you know, the, the guy inside of you, the man inside of you wants to like do all these big things. And, you know, you found a company and like you said, you're going off of credit cards and, you know, kind of doing whatever you can to get by, but still yeah. get to say that it was you who built the company and, and everything else that comes with that, which, you know, it's definitely nice, but I think as, as people mature and, and, you know, you start to learn new things and all that stuff, there's definitely, you know, you, you're able to take more ownership of where you're at, like you said, uh, which is always good. So I think that's a great start to the podcast. And, and now to kind of, you know, dive more, a little bit more into the company crisp and what it does and how, you know, it kind of came to be, uh, as I understand, it is a children company or a partner company of, wholesale investor yes uh, one of the first questions that came to my mind when i saw that essentially was you know when do you realize as part of the founding team and part of the team at wholesale investor when do you realize when the time is right to bring this other product into this into the picture yeah um that's a great question so um a little bit of background for those who don't know what wholesale investor is um, it's a marketing and an events business that um, connects um, investors to companies um, and predominantly we have um, companies as our clients and a database of 24,000, over 24,000 investors um, across uh, Asia Pacific, um, Europe um, and little bits in between. Um, so I think when we realized that there's no, like we can easily connect a company um, to investors and have them um, at the trade stands do an expression of interest form. It's all on paper. There, there's that innate problem where how do you hold the investors accountable for when they go ahead and show their interest? When do you know are the right signals 
to get a hold of, of that investor to help close your round. Um, and a lot of those questions were answered by this product, Chris, where we needed to try and hold accountability for the investors and the companies, give better insight as to the effectiveness of their capital raise. Mm -hmm. And being a administration platform, we wanted to give those companies better insights as to um, what they're doing right and what they can do to um, better improve. Right. And the, the pricing model of CRISP, where does that kind of come into play? Like, how do you realize, you know, what it is that you need to charge people for this specific product? Yeah, um, so we, we've toyed around with the idea of a month to month price, but it doesn't necessarily um, do, the, do, do it as a service to um, the investors that we have on the platform, because you can't have a fly by night um, company going through a deal raise and close it within a month. Right. Um, that, that's, that's a pipe dream. It, the, the idea that we're trying to encourage with um, annual subscriptions is to better educate companies to know that capital raising takes a relationship with investors over several months, um, regardless of how, how many investors are on the platform. They need to be comfortable and better understand what your business is about, what your investment opportunity is. And actually, there's still that emotion that plays from it. So, um, you, you, can't, you can't expect an investor to um, get involved with a business um, if they haven't known you for more than three months or so. That's so um, by tr like we'll probably look into quarterly pricing. Um, but again, it's, it's education that's important to those companies, better understanding as to how you, how you execute effective fundraising. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And how does that look when, for example, like let's say, right, you have those, those, like you said, I think you, I think you said it was seven months from, you know, the time period. What essentially, for those that don't necessarily, including myself, understand, you know, the whole journey of pitching to actually getting investment, what happens on CRISP throughout that whole period of time? Yeah. So we usually onboard the, the clients way before um, they even begin their journey. So um, for example, um, the scenario that we play with Wholesale Investor and Crisp is uh, when we run events and they get offered Crisp alongside that, um, we usually onboard them on Crisp as soon as possible, even before we have our events. And that helps them better understand um, what they're doing to set up their deal room. Um, what documents do they need for investors to go straight to there and get the information they need. And then actually gives us an opportunity to better understand what their business is about, helping with some initial due diligence, ensuring that the, the deal opportunity is legitimate. Mm -hmm. And that seven month journey um, is predominantly setting it upright, making sure that everything's good to go. Then um, preparing your, your, let's say, 10, 10 slide um, pitch deck that you're going to be doing as part of your presentation to give investors a better understanding as to um, what your business is about and that opportunity that you're looking to um, go with. And then you connect them over to the crisp deal room, which will then um, start tracking that seven month relationship. Okay. So you can say, I've um, invited um, those investors or they've requested access that's been accepted. 
You can see in the activity feed of what the investor's been doing. And then you can go ahead and have your documents there. You can then see your investors, uh, prospect investors, have downloaded those documents, have asked questions, um, pretty much any, um, any touch point and interaction is, is kind of tracked so you can get a better understanding as to what they're doing. So the way I'm kind of understanding it here, as far as like the analytics side of it, I'm thinking of something like, I don't know if you're familiar, but with like PandaDoc, where mm. you get an agreement and then essentially it starts to tell you like, oh, like this person viewed this page of the document, you know, for 13 seconds or like for five minutes and, and so on. So something like that. Yes, very similar. So it, it, it predominantly is um, once they've downloaded the document or viewed the room, um, it could be multiple times um, at different stages. We, we do that tracking. Very cool. Now, so you also mentioned as far as, so really anyone that goes through Wholesale Investor at this point, they're also being onboarded onto CRISP. Yes. So it, it's kind of a mandate on our end that we kind of want um, our wholesale investor clients to be on the best footing possible. Mm -hmm. And having that is meaning also giving them crisp. Um, it, it gives them a better understanding as to how the capital race is going. And then also kind of digitizes the, the experience that they would have otherwise had with investors uh, being given business cards from the company, sending emails, keeping track on spreadsheets, um, and then two weeks later going, oh, hey, I need to speak to Joe. Um, I'm not sure if he's still interested in my cap price. Right. Okay. That's really, really cool. Now, when it comes to actually finding, you know, I guess both sides of the, of the, you know, the deal, how do you go about finding investors to join um, the platform slash wholesale investor? And how do the companies that are looking for investment find you? So we've carried, um, with Wholesale Investor, it's been around for over 10 years. So we've been able to leverage um, its reputation and image um, to, to carry the 24,000 plus strong um, investors to, to get those um, investors into the deal rooms um, and kind of market from now. And then on the same token, um, when we've been, um, so Wholesale Investor was originally a publication um, and that was listing um, companies as opportunities for, um, for actual magazine subscribers and then it moved into a marketing and events business. So we've been able to leverage a lot of um, what Wholesale Investor has already done um, to, to bring in companies to um, and then bring in investors. So um, now is the, a good point of going, okay, we've got access to all of these, um, all of this marketing and we can try and target it effectively, but we need to scale it or we need to stage it um, as we go along because um, the, the platform uh, was just launched um, just over a month ago. Um, but we've been developing for 18 months um, with beta testing um, six months before then. Um, but we're already, we're already set at um, over 60 deal rooms already. So um, we've, we've got a significant amount of traction, but then we also need to respect that as we're building up um, the utilization of the platform, um, we have access to tap into the 24,000 investors, but not all of them at once are gonna 
access six, only 60 deal rooms. Right. So like, how do we, um, what we're tackling is two things. One is the education aspect um, of the platform and telling the investors and the companies um, what it's about, how they use it and effectively onboard. And then the second part is um, which investors do we target um, to get the most out of, um, for the companies to get the most out of this platform too. So um, there are different stages that we can do the marketing or remarketing and everything else. But right now is just more of the, um, the launch and the, um, the education aspect and then making sure that we execute it properly. Mm -hmm. Now with, with, and I didn't know that the platform had only launched like so recently. Right. So I thought mm -hmm. like this was, I don't know, maybe a couple of years after, you know, the, the obviously like wholesale investor has been out for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I figured Chris was out there for like, you know, at least two years, not a month. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's actually a surprise to me. So that's really cool because it seems like right off the bat and obviously this has to actually come from, you know, some of that traction, like you mentioned that wholesale investor has already put together for such a long period of time. But mm. as a product manager, what are some of the things that kind of held you back? You know, you, you mentioned that it has been in, in development for over 18 months. Like what were some of the things that you saw within that time period that kind of, you know, put blocks in front of you? Um, I, I, the best one would be, and I think a lot of founders um, would resonate with this, it's you're suffering from a whole bunch of features that you could put into the platform, um, but you're not prioritizing it right. Um, I think uh, we went through one major redesign um, to make sure that it's done right. But I think the, the thing that we needed to focus on was not even just the MVP stage. We, we've gone past that, but it's more going, what is the core functionality needed um, for the investors and um, the companies because they're both as equal stakeholders right um, and taking stock to look at what do they need rather than what we want to give and how did you find what that thing was and what is that thing yes yeah, so our thing was predominantly focusing on the deal room and ensuring deal flow goes smoothly from um, going onboarding through to um, the raise and then closing that round. So through open to close, we needed to make sure that that experience was accounted for in the roadmap. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we had covered earlier on was building out a roadmap, showing um, the features that, like allowing the team to go through any and all features that they want to go through and, and then have the platform and then actually setting priorities for it. Because like we can we can do we can't do everything all at once, right. um, and we need to prioritize features one at a time for the ones that are most effective. And um, yeah, like you can have a client that may um, try and want to white label your product and give you a sizable amount of money, but you need to kind of go, okay, does this go with or against our um, our roadmap? And going back onto that because you need to treat it like a Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, I, I totally, you know, I, I definitely understand what you want to bring with, with that statement, right? Like you definitely need to keep in mind 
what, like why you started the whole thing and, and not letting someone that, like you said, wants to white label, you know, kind of throw things to the side and, and change how things are going to be done essentially. Mm. Um, but with those 18 months that, you know, the product was in development, what is one thing that knowing now you would have changed, say, from month one to month three? I would say onboarding partners earlier, um, earlier rather than later. Um, I think the um, we're we're building out the advocacy for for Chris, mm-hmm. and whilst we've leveraged a lot of the relationships that we've had with Popsell Investor, I think we would have saved a lot of time by having those um, having those relationships with the feedback with um, it all ready to go. So um, as soon as like launch was was going from day one, then we would have had partners um, partners and advisors that use the platform ready to go, ready to not necessarily resell, but more or less advocate for the product. Mm-hmm. So we're we're now in a situation where we're building out that ecosystem, we're um, setting a mandate to being more involved with that ecosystem and going, where does crisp fit for not only just startups, but um, pre-IPO and IPO businesses. That's cool. And where does, and I still want to touch on the fact that you've been on the other end of things as a founder as well. So how does that differ from, you know, like what you, what you mentioned now, like making sure that those things were in place beforehand how does that differ from what you would have done, you know, in the past? Like with the things that you learned on the first company or the second company, the same things that you learned this time around and was anything that you learned actually implemented, you know, on the latest project being crisp? Yeah. Um, I think the, the best thing was this, like, so my, my background's in systems thinking and everything like that. So ensuring that there are processes for customer support, what's that workflow look like? Um, When we go through feasibility for features, um, how does that look like and how do we better validate that so it goes into the right priority for the product roadmap? Um, A lot of that experience came from um, outsourcing our development for Asset Squared um, in, in a couple of countries and then going, okay, what do we need to prioritize? Um, and we started off using Jira, um, and Confluence. Um, so Atlassian's a great product, um, like a great company, sorry. And something that we, we, we like highly strive for in regards to their excellence. So I've, I've always carried Jira and Confluence with me, um, for every startup. Um, and right now we're using Jira Service Desk and Confluence um, as part of our um, self-service um, support and knowledge base um, because it's quite extensible, but it also is fairly seamless. Very cool. Since we're already on the topic of talking about a little bit, you know, on different companies, what are, you know, the in your mind, what are the companies that are kind of doing things very, very well and the companies that you, you know, look up to as, as far as like what they've been able to do, what they've implemented in the way that they've done it. Yeah. Um, I, one standout is Intercom. Um, I think they've got a very, uh, very great product. 
that integrates very nicely with customer environments. Um, and then furthermore than that, they've, they've kind of started, that they haven't just started, they've built out that ecosystem. They've, they've got a podcast as well. It's great to listen to and great insights too. And um, it, you get a lot of value from it, um, not just from what they provide as a product, but what they also give back to the community. And I think when people create startups and strive for um, product excellence, you also need to see where this fits in your market and what you can do to give back. Yeah. So I think what we're trying to do is um, follow in the footsteps of what um, Intercom has done so far. Now with that, as far as following footsteps, and, and I like that a lot because I'm a big believer on, you know, repeating successful actions. And if you see somebody yeah. that's done something well, that means that if you try it, and that, that doesn't mean, you know, let's let's go out there and copy, uh, you know, word by word or whatever you want to call it, what they've done. It just means that the things that they've done in the past and maybe the, the you know, the sequence of which they've been done could be successful, then it could probably be replicated in different, uh, with a different model or something, you know, that differs in, in some way. Um, with, with that being said, what are some of the things, you know, with Crystal being so young that are down in the, in the roadmap for you? Yeah. So in, I guess in the roadmap for, for Crisp, we're, um, releasing, um, secondary, um, sorry, secondary trading. So um, that's going to allow businesses that have already gone through a deal raise um, to allow investors to, um, I guess, trade places. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily need to go through another raise in order to um, add that liquidity to a business. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing that's also fairly important in, um, I guess, in Australia is that the the investment landscape is quite small in comparison to the US. Yeah. So um, there's a huge focus on angel investors and, and syndication. So um, that's another um, thing that we've got in the pipeline as well. So you can have syndicates run out of the platform um, to then go and fund into um, startups and other businesses. Mm -hmm. So um, we're trying to better educate the, I guess, the Australian community and then um, from there to go, hey, you can actually get funded in Australia with your Australian business. Um, we've also got um, Singaporean, US and New Zealand companies using the platform too. So, yeah. All within a, a month <laughs> with time. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the things that have been the most successful in the building of Crisp, what would you say those are? Ooh, I would say the team. We've tried to keep things nimble. Um, and it's, yeah, I would say the, um, the nimbleness of the team and making sure that we stay focused on what we're trying to achieve. Okay. Um, okay. We're doing weekly meetings um, on a product perspective to make sure things are on track. We're reaching out goals needed for um, user and deal room growth and kind of ensure like, and the partnerships that we've already started establishing, not just here in Australia, but um, globally um, to build that um, advocacy is, is going to be truly amazing. So I, I think what I'm really proud of is actually releasing the product and launching it um, yeah. and then actually seeing the traction 
and I'm really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, it's it's definitely something really exciting. It's essentially, or especially because, you know, like I said, it's just the the, the period of time that you've been, you know, out in the market and, and having the success that you've had so far is definitely speaks for itself. So that's awesome. And now I do like to ask a little bit more personal questions uh, towards the end of the podcast, right? So uh, number one, what is something that you're not very good at? Or the, the, the one thing? Um, I'd say a weakness. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I think founders can relate to this. Um, I need to learn to pull emotions aside sometimes. I think when some decision-making happens, and this is when I was, um, I guess, in the first startup um, I was doing, it wasn't just the ego. It was also feeling as though I'm right mm-hmm. and this decision's meant to be it. Um, I'm not saying I do that now, but more or less, it's a pra- it, it's a constant practice. Yeah, I making sure that um, you can be passionate. That's no issue. But as soon as like you're now making an argument out of something, take a step back and realize, hey, is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. I need to respect the other person I'm talking to. Yeah. Um, so it it's been a working a working progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say that one, just keeping emotions in check. Definitely, definitely a good one, especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, in the investor world and all that stuff, it's definitely a good thing to make sure you have a, a handle on. And as far as something you, you believe that you're really good at, what would that be? I would say um, long-term relationships. So um, from my experience with Cisco, um, we are dealing with fairly long sales cycles. Um, because you, they could be multi-million dollar deals. Um, and it was from a, so it was a division within Cisco, so Cisco Meraki. Um, and that was a startup that got acquired by Cisco for about 1.2 billion. And it grew into one of Cisco's largest um, profitable departments. So dealing, dealing with those sorts of um, deals, you need to understand and learn that um, it takes longer to close. Right. So I, I kind of had that grown into me that I can't close on short sales cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work on long-term relationships that see value right. and um, value on both sides. So you can't be like a, a car salesman trying to flog off a piece of product, hoping that they go ahead and take it. Right. Um, there's ramifications with that. So um, I'd say that's, that's the strength I've got. How does that affect, you know, the way you see other type of deals, right? So like you, like you're so used to seeing these multi-million dollar deals or maybe not even, but you know, hundreds plus thousands, like half a million dollar deals. And it's still a pretty large amount of money. How does that affect the way you see, let's say, you know, somebody buying or, or, or going for the annual membership for crisp where it's nothing huge. Do you still expect it to be, I guess the question is, do you expect that sale to be much shorter since it's such a small value? Yeah, yeah. To see um, huge amounts. Yeah, of course. So I, I think the answer for that is yes and no. Um, mainly because, sure, it's um, it's it's smaller commitment um, that they need to have with us uh-huh. um, in order to get onto the platform. Um, but their decision making. Um, for that deal raise still affects them for um, 
any anywhere between 500,000 to 1.5 to $10 million raises. So the, there is still some decision-making needed on their end to go, is this the right product for us? Right. And then understanding um, the ramifications from there going, okay, how does this help us with our X dollar raise? Totally. That makes sense. And uh, last question here, Patrick, do you have any questions for me? Ooh. Not currently. Like I think um, I'd love I'd love to um, keep in touch further regarding what we what we Chris can do over in the yeah. state. Um, and I think um, I think it'll be good to see where you guys grow as well. So um, be more than happy to stay in touch. Definitely. Maybe we'll get to work with some of the companies that are being funded through Chris. Yeah, so we, um, I'll do a little plug now. So um, Chris, Crisp actually offers a free TL, um, which is a starter package. Um, it's free for a lifetime. Um, effectively, you can set up your deal room, um, add your pitch documents, and um, invite investors. Mm-hmm. And that gives you, um, I guess, the taste of being, um, having good financial hygiene right. um, when you really cap raise. So if you head on to crisp.io, um, C-R-I-I-S-P.io, um, you can sign up to a free, um, a free TL. If you're interested in something a bit more long-term, we do have startup pricing. Um, I am always looking for advocates. So if that's something that people are interested in, reach out to me directly. There you go. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick, so much. Uh, it was really a pleasure having you on here and, and definitely learned a lot about you know investment, how it works, a little bit more about your background, which is awesome, and how you see things when you've been able to be on you know different positions in different companies, and and how you know even though we didn't necessarily talk about that, but how you kind of grow when you're in in, in certain you know areas of life doing certain things. So it's really cool how you were able to reflect on those and then speak to them later on with a new position, doing different things. Uh, and just impacting people in different ways. So, Thanks, um, Liz. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on here today, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Definitely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.